Father, we do thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. We thank You that You are a God who sustains us even in the midst, especially in the midst of challenging times. That as we go through darkened valleys in our life, we know, we know that we are confident in You to guide us through. We know that You are the one who teaches us through these moments and sustains us, and we thank you for it. We pray that our lives with every passing year and each passing decade, we would grow deeper in our understanding of you, our faith would grow in you, and our lives would be enriched because of it. Teach us, we pray, Holy Spirit, as we open your word now, prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper as we get to share in it again together this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray it all. Amen. Amen. We live in a world with certain social expectations. Here's what I mean by that. If I say hello, I expect you to say... Hello. If I do this, what might I expect in return from you? A smile. If I do this... Yeah... Good. There are certain expectations that we have in our world. If I go and buy Stephen lunch on Tuesday, kind of like Wimpy in the old Popeye cartoons, I might expect uh, repayment later on down the road, right? That's just kind of the world we live in. There are certain social expectations. Uh, if certain actions are taken, then certain responses are expected. And that's just normal in our lives. But if we carry that sort of attitude into our spiritual life, we can find very quickly... That such does not work with God. We don't take certain expectations into our relationship with God. That if I do certain things, then God is required then to do other things in response to me. I'll give you, for instance, and this is just me, I'm sure you've never experienced this, but we can be caught in moments where we might say to God, God, I've been a good boy. What are you going to do for me? Right? Or, I've given a lot of money to this thing, and so now I expect your blessing. And on down, we might give a thousand other examples. What we're going to learn today in our passage in Luke chapter 7, open your Bibles there to Luke chapter 7, is that faith is not built on my expectation that God would do things in response to what I have done. In fact, we're going to see in this passage that Jesus was actually amazed. Some of your Bibles would say that he marveled at the response of this particular person um, and his faith and, and what that elicited in Jesus. Let's read together in Luke chapter 7, the first 10 verses. We're going to hear about a centurion. A centurion was a non-Jewish person. He was a Roman soldier, more than a soldier. He commanded other soldiers, and he was a, kind of a manager of, of these soldiers. And, and here's... How the story goes. When Jesus had finished saying all of this, what's Luke referring to is uh, chapter before. This is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. This is Luke's condensing and and, uh, retelling of what Jesus taught there in the Sermon on the Mount. So after he had finished, Jesus had finished teaching this to the people. He entered Capernaum. And there a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. 
This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Let's pause there for a moment. I know some of you have traveled to Israel. Some of you have been to Pergamum. Some of you may even set foot in this, the ruins of this particular synagogue. Here's what's happening. Jesus is uh, the first six chapters of Luke. Uh, Luke is laying out the life of Jesus. Jesus has been out healing. He's been uh, taking demon-possessed people and casting out the demons. He's been uh, teaching with authority. He's been uh, describing himself as one who is the Lord able to interpret rightly the Word of God and the customs of the Jewish people who were living in the shadow of the Old Testament. Jesus has been doing some amazing things just in these first six chapters. This Roman commander of other soldiers heard that Jesus was around and, and he has this word for this household who, who's been sick and he's really dear to him and, and he asked some of the Jewish elders to go and ask Jesus if he would come and to heal his servant and Jesus was willing to go. But Jesus was not far from the house, the Bible says, when the Roman soldier sent friends to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, and soldiers with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. There are two factors that I, I think are shown in this passage that I just want to spend a little moment with you thinking about. Two factors that really structure and give shape to personal faith. If I'm going to respond in faith to Jesus, there are two factors that are really significant for me. One is humility, and the other is surrender. One is humility, and the other is surrender. I think we see humility very strongly in the life of this uh, Roman commander. Humility is really answering the question, what is it, when I stand before God, what is it that I am deserving of from God? What is it about my life that would elicit anything from God? What is it that I have done that God should repay? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. That, that is the basis of humility. And humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's learning to think less uh, or think, not thinking less of ourselves, but learning to think about ourselves less often. What am I deserving of? You see in verse 4, the Jewish leaders of that particular village said to Jesus, Jesus, this man has been so good to our people. And in response to his goodness and his generosity and, and his being with us, Jesus, he deserves that you should come and do this act of healing and restoration to his servant. And you'll notice that his response in verse 6 and 7, that he says of himself, this Roman guy, he says, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is the same word you might remember. John the Baptist, when Jesus comes to be baptized, 
And John the Baptist is there. He's been baptizing other people. And here Jesus shows up. And John the Baptist knows who Jesus is. And Jesus says, it's my turn. And he can almost see that he's shocked on John the Baptist's face. He's like, no, no, I cannot baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, this needs to happen so that all, all faithfulness can be fulfilled. And John says, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of your sandal. That same word and that same sense of humility that John the Baptist had before Jesus is being used here of this Roman soldier in front of Jesus in response to Jesus. I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof. And then he reinforces this idea in verse 7. He says, I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. In other words, what is he saying? Is that I, I don't deserve any sort of quid pro quo with you, Jesus. I paid your dinner meal the other night. Now, I don't need you to pay mine. There, there's nothing I have done to deserve you to act on my behalf. There was a great story this uh, recently, very recently, in the ARC newspaper. If you're not familiar with the ARC, it's a weekly newspaper. It comes out every Wednesday. It's for Tiburon and Belvedere and Strawberry specifically. And there's a great article about a man named George Landau. And a Tiburon resident for several decades. And I met George several years ago at the Rotary Club. And I didn't know this part of this story. But he was a man, as about a seven-year-old boy. He was growing up in Poland. And his dad operated a factory. And uh, when the Nazi Germans came, invaded Poland from the west, uh, Russia came and invaded Poland from the east. And he happened to be on the eastern side. And so his family and many others were captured and taken off to work camps in Siberia. And his dad was sent out to cut trees with a handsaw until he was unable to work anymore. When Germany declared war on Russia, uh, many of these work camps, were the people in them were released and just kind of go. And so he and his family, with nothing to their name, were on their way. They, they found their way down toward Uzbekistan. And as their family grew ill, a Russian family took them in and fed them and took care of them in that moment. And, and then they found themselves in the freezing temperatures on a train. They finally had the opportunity to head to Tehran, Iran. And as they were going, they had stopped halfway on the way, and they were out in the snow, and they looked over here, and they saw something in the snow, and they picked it up, and it was just enough money to buy the continuing fare from that stop down to the city of Tehran. And once they got there, they were able to, to rent a, a, some sort of house, and the family slept on, on their luggage trunks and on the floor with nothing. And finally, a relative was able, sometime later, to bring them to New York, and George found his way to Tiburon of all places. What was so remarkable to me was how as he looks back on this journey, he describes it not as a journey of great struggle, which it was, or a journey of deplorable conditions, which it was, but he described it as a journey of miracles. And I thought, wow, what a great picture of humility and approaching life without a sense that I deserve certain things to turn out a certain way. And Jesus, when this, he starts coming to this Roman soldier, the soldier comes with the same sort of humility. I'm not deserving of you, Jesus, to do anything. But if you would just say the word, I know that my servant 
would be healed. This whole idea of humility is, is a theme throughout the scriptures. In Proverbs 3.34, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James picks this up, this concept, and actually this particular verse, and to a, a group of churches that is struggling with internal conflict and interpersonal arguments and uh, discussion, disputing all the time. Here's what he says. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Peter picks up the same theme. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, we read these words, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older to you. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. So one of the factors that amazed Jesus when He, he looked at this, this Roman commander and He stood amazed, He marveled at His faith. One of the, the elements that He's marveling at is humility. The humbleness that He comes before Jesus with. The second and final aspect is surrender. Surrender. What, what does surrender look like? When we talk about surrender and surrendering our lives to God, it's not about giving up. It's about giving over. Surrender is a willing choice that we make to give over our lives into the Lord, to place our lives into the hands of God, because God is far better to manage and to direct and to guide us over time. Surrender is not about giving up, it's about giving over. Surrender is also about having confidence in Jesus. When the soldier, uh, Jesus is coming, and he's still far away, and he sends his own people to Jesus, says, you know what, just, just say the word. I am so confident in the authority that you have over the world and over my life and my servant's life. Just say the word. If more of us would pray in confidence to the Lord... I think we would see so much more happening around us, a trusting relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. So when we surrender ourselves in faith to the Lord, it's not about giving up, it's about giving over. Because we are confident in the power and authority of Jesus over our lives and in our lives, and then surrender is also about learning to adjust ourselves to fit in the purposes of God. Learning to adjust my preconceptions 
and allowing God to teach and to guide and to shape my life. It's about involving myself more in the life of God than even inviting God into my life. There's a whole shift of dynamic there. You see, when I begin increasingly to seek to involve my life into the work and life of God, it changes what the right and bigger story is. If I constantly approach it first, if this is my life and my need, God wants you to come into my need and into this problem and into this relationship, all of that is good and well, but increasingly we need to learn to shift so that I'm learning to see how my life fits into God's story, into God's life. That's how I learn to surrender myself and find the bigger story, the right story, and the bigger peace that I'm Involved with for God's glory. It's not demanding upon Jesus for action. It's not demanding that Jesus do something in my time frame. But it's adjusting to what Jesus thinks is best for me. Humility and surrender. As we think about developing faith in our lives. As we think about a church that's growing deeper in faith. A faith that's broadening and and bigger. Where we think bigger things for God. It's about humility and surrender. And there's two, two things I want to invite you to be uh, considering, and hopefully you'll be able to join us. One is our small groups. We're having a special church-wide small group emphasis that's beginning uh, the first week of March. It's a six-week study. We're going to be doing something called the Easter Experience. And we're going to be looking at several themes around the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus and and how we can take the the Easter story and make it more uh, known in our lives and more impactful for our living. So that's going to begin the first week of March because with Easter being later this year in April, that is going to help us take and do these studies over the the Lenten season, which are the six weeks that lead up to Easter Day. So you're going to be seeing in the next week or two sign-ups and opportunities to be part of a small group, and we're forming those as we speak. So that's one thing. The other, and how do we grow and develop in faith? It's by learning to know God, and we know God by learning to listen and be with Him in a regular daily way. And so one of the things we're inviting you into is to read the Bible this year in 2019. Maybe like you've never read it before. Maybe reading and taking into you more than you've ever taken a Bible in a a 11-month, 12-month period before. Here's what we're going to do. On Valentine's Day, the day of love, the day of celebrating relationships, some have talked about the Bible being God's love letter for us. So we're going to start on Valentine's Day. You can join any time. Even if you aren't ready to start February 14th, it's okay. You can start any time. Here's what we're going to do. Is we're going to invite you to, to get an app on your phone or on your iPad. It's called Read Scripture. And it's got a, a, a framed out uh, reading plan. And if you stick to it, you'll have read the entire Bible in less than a year. It'll take you maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes every day. And you uh, are also going to have a, a printed copy if you'd rather have that. If you already have a plan, don't worry. If it's working for you, just keep going. Our, my, our hope, my hope, is just that people, more of us, will be reading the Bible regularly. If you're looking for something different or, or new, or maybe it's just not a pattern of your life right now, a habit, uh, this would be a great opportunity for you uh, to consider doing this. Here's what's 
really neat, I think, about this particular rap. Number one is the framework. It, it helps take the Bible book by book, but it's not just the way it's in our Bible. It takes the same books, but it uh, takes us through the more of a chronological arc so we can see from creation all the way to, to Revelation. We have a better understanding of how the Bible all fits together and how each of the individual stories really supports and tells one bigger story. And that's really important if we're going to appreciate the way the Scripture flows and the impact the Scripture has on our life. That's number one. Number two is that if you're using the app, and you can could, you could read the Bible through the app if you want, you can open the app, see where you're supposed to read, and then turn to your, your page-bound paper Bible. That's great, too. Uh, but if, as you're opening, each book of the Bible will have a little video, five- or six-minute video to help give you a sense of one of the major themes of this particular book. Uh, I know we get excited about reading a book like Leviticus. <laughs> right? You too? Yeah. So before you dive into Leviticus, you'll be given a little video that you can watch, and it's written by theologians, and it uh, just gives you a little overview of what you're about to read, so that as we're reading, we're reading in context, and we have a better sense of what God intended, not, not taking, isolating a little verse or passage, and then applying it in a, a really obtuse way that was never intended uh, by God in, in the Scriptures. It's going to help us to learn to read in context, and and I hope that and as many of us perhaps are doing this together, that conversations are going to come up. We're going to be able to talk about, wow, did you read that wild story? I wonder what was going on there. And having conversations that begin about it. And so I just want you to watch this little brief video to give you a sense of what this particular study is. We know that the Bible is flawed. Many people have been intimidated to But we believe that the entire thing is one unified story that leads us to Jesus. And so we wanted to help you learn how to read the Bible as you actually read through the entire thing for yourself. So the Read Scripture experience is, first of all, a reading plan that has broken up the story of the Bible into 16 chapters. Now we've rearranged the order of some of the books to help you see how this overall story works and how each book contributes to it. So we begin with creation of the world, the fall of humanity, which leads to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family and the people of Israel. Then you come to God's rescue of Israel in the Exodus from Egypt, which is followed by the covenant God makes with them at Mount Sinai. From there, God leads Israel through the wilderness and then into the promised land, where Israel grows into a nation and breaks the covenant. So this flows into the rise and the fall of Israel's kingdom, which ends with Israel being exiled from the land. Now, the story pauses right here, and you'll read through the poetry of the prophets who lived before Israel's exile, and also the wisdom writings that reflect on this part of the story as well. After this, the story will pick up again, and you'll read the writings of the prophets who lived during the exile, then about the return of Israel from exile, and the writings of the prophets who lived after the exile. You'll conclude the Old Testament with the book of Chronicles. It's a summary of the story so far, and how it all points forward to Jesus. And finally, we come to Jesus himself and his announcement of the kingdom of God, which is then followed by the letters of the apostles to the people of Jesus' kingdom. Finally, we'll conclude the entire biblical story with the revelation, a poetic vision of Jesus' return and the healing of all creation. Now, each of these 16 chapters has a number of reading sessions it will take to complete. Some of these are shorter, others are longer. And if you take just 15 to 20 minutes a day to complete each session, you'll be able to read through the entire Bible in less than a year. Now, even with this map, many books of the Bible are really confusing. It's very easy to get lost. 
So when you start each new book of the Bible, you'll be able to watch a short video that lays out that book's structure and flow of thought, and it'll give you tips about the kinds of things to look for as you read. But also, every book contributes to the overall story of the Bible as well. And so we'll have theme videos placed at strategic points in the reading plan to help you see how the part of the Bible you're reading at the moment fits into that larger story. Finally, each day's reading session includes a song, because we believe that reading the Bible is not just an intellectual experience, but also spiritual. And so we invite you to take the year to develop the daily habit of praying through the Psalms. And by the end of the year, you'll have prayed through the whole book of Psalms two and a half times. Our hope is that the Read Scripture experience will help you read through the entire Bible with greater understanding than you ever have before. So you can see for yourself the beauty and the wisdom of this ancient story that points us to Jesus. (laughs) So this coming week, you'll uh, receive an email with some more details about it to uh, prepare yourself. We'll, uh, hopefully, what our plan is to spend a little time next Sunday walking you through installing the app, and we'll, we'll help you in it. And uh, I think it's going to be a really great blessing for our church, for those who would like to, uh, to read the Bible together. Uh, would the deacons come and join me here at the front? And uh, we're going to sing our first verse of our song as we prepare for the Lord's Supper.